Good morning, everyone. How are you all doing today? Or should I say, who day? Connection with audience, check. Um, my name is Jimmy Ranshaw. I'm the Next Gen Minister. Uh, if you haven't met me yet, I'd love to take the time after the service and talk to you and meet you. But I'm so excited to be able to have this opportunity to speak to you guys uh, on Student Takeover. We had, wow, an amazing, amazing worship time here with, from the little ones, although what we just saw here. Wasn't that great? Let's give them a round of applause. I've been working with youth for about 20 years, and it's just, it never ceases to amaze me, the talent that God just keeps creating, and uh, we just know that, like, he is so wonderful and glorious, and we want to give him all that praise. We are continuing in this, this year of the kingdom that we're doing here, where we're trying to really do our best to bring the kingdom of God here to, to Plum Creek, but not just Plum Creek, to the, our surrounding areas, and really show the love of God and, and of Jesus Christ to everyone that we encounter and so today we come to this, this story, one of these pivotal moments in Jesus' lives where he really has this teaching for his disciples, not just to the crowds, but for, for his disciples to really understand. And uh, so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 18, verse 1 through 5. If you want to go ahead and open up your, your Bible apps, or if you have a, a physical Bible here, old school like me, open that up, get that, that ready. Um, as you're doing that, I want to tell you a little story about, I don't know, about 12 years ago, I was teaching a Sunday school class, and I had a little sixth grader that had just kind of moved up. It was like promotion Sunday, and they moved up. And we got through the Sunday school class, and when we finished up, we did prayer requests. Now, if those of you who are not used to being in church, prayer requests at the end is we just kind of go around and we share what's on our heart, what we wish we could be praying for, and then we pray together as that group. And so as we were going around, we're praying for people, and I, and I have learned over the years with student ministry that you kind of have to put limits on what can be prayed for, because if not, prayer requests can turn into an hour and a half time, you know. So um, we went through, and it came to this girl named Carissa, and she's very sweet, very smart uh, little girl, and uh, I was like, all right, Carissa, do you have anything to pray for? And she says, yes, can you pray for my horse? So, well, Carissa... We don't pray for animals here because we, we've got a lot of things that we need to cover. So we really pray for people and sicknesses and illnesses and, and we give praises. So, so we're not going to pray for your horse today. And she's like, oh, okay. All right, moved on, prayed. Next week comes around. Do, my, do our lesson. We get around, come around to uh, prayer request time. Get to Carissa again. Carissa, do you have anything to pray for? Yes. Will you please pray for my horse? I said, Carissa. We talked about this last week. We just, we got some rules. We don't do that. And she said, yes, but Jimmy, doesn't scripture say that we are to cast all our anxiety onto God? And I said, yes, what is your horse's name? <laughs> From that point on, bring him on, pets, whatever, we'll pray. And uh, it was in that moment when she said that to me, I could have easily done one of two things, right? I could have dug in my heels and gone into some theological explanation of why we're not needing to pray for horses. Or I could just listen and learn. Learn from a sixth grade girl who put me in my place. And thankfully, the hand and wisdom of God just said, yep, that's what we're doing. Now, to put more infinite, or what she should know, understand more about this horse, though, was this is a horse that she was leasing. She was learning how to ride, and the horse got a hoof infection. And those of you who know anything with horses, if they get infections in their hooves or in their legs, that could be very 
fatal to them eventually. So it did have a lot of burden on her. And uh, just if you're curious, the horse was healed, and she ended up riding Akeem all the way until a couple years ago where they finally retired him. So a beautiful little ending. But I come to those moments, I think of those moments in my life where I haven't always reacted that way. Where I've reacted more from a prideful stance where I thought I needed to be right. I needed to be the one in charge and and controlling everything. And if someone brought any opposition to me, anything that goes against what I might think or know is right, I would typically try to either crush them or make fun of them or dismiss them. And thankfully that doesn't happen all the time. So here in Matthew chapter 18, we come to a very interesting part of of Jesus' life. It picks up here in verse 1. It says this, At the time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them and said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one's such, uh, one such child in my name welcomes me. It's kind of an interesting thing here. It's later in Jesus' ministry, and he has had his disciples around him the whole time. And yet they're still fighting amongst each other. And as I read through this scripture, one glaring thing jumps out to me. It's my first point today. It's this. In the kingdom of God, humility is greater than position. In the kingdom of God, we must understand that humility is much greater than any position that we can have. Now, that doesn't always jive with what our modern world thinks. In our modern world, we want to have the highest position. We want to be in control. You want to have that respect that comes because of positions. And not just in our modern world, in ancient civilizations, it was the same thing. That's why they had kings, right? And we had pecking orders, and they had, they had different life situations and different caste systems, right? Our whole world is built up on this hierarchy, and in this one moment, Jesus knocks it all out. What you need to know is that this question actually comes from this remnants of an argument that had been going on within the disciples themselves. See, a couple of chapters before, um, Jesus had taken Peter, James, and John and taken them up to the mountain where he was transfigured and got all the glory of God put upon him. And when they came down, the rest of the disciples were kind of bickering amongst themselves. Oh, well, he's got his three favorites. You guys ever been in a situation before where you realized you weren't the favorite? You don't have to raise your hand. We all know it, right? Maybe it's within your own family union. Maybe it's within a friend group. Maybe it's within a, a, workspl- a workplace situation. It can be very hard when you are not the favorite. And you can become very bitter, and you can start picking apart every little thing. And what you don't mean to do, or maybe you do mean to do, is you're trying to like corrupt the system so you can get yourself into that favorite category, right? I mean, 
years ago, they had, you know, the, the certain cell phones had your favorite five, right? And so you could pick which ones you wanted to have. And we all naturally put these in, but Jesus wasn't working amongst that. Yes, he loved Peter, James, and John, but he wasn't trying to set up some sort of hierarchy within his disciples. But the disciples had that, and they started arguing and bickering, and had this thing going on, which brings them to this question, who I'm not sure, you know, they, they said, uh, the disciples came and asked, like as a group, you know, <laughs> who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They're trying to figure out how they can become next up, right next to Jesus. We need to understand that Jesus decided to use a child to prove the point that in his kingdom you should be more concerned about whom you are serving versus who is serving you or what position you have. See, in the first century, we need to realize that children were not even really considered people as much. They were on a lower level. That You heard the term before, you know, to be seen but not heard. Well, they would take that to the utmost degree. Children were considered a lot of times an annoyance, and they were oftentimes ran out. And if children came in and, and ruined things, there could be harsh, harsh punishments for them. Unfortunately, uh, children's just lives, they just weren't that valued in the first century church. And not just the first century church, but the first century altogether. John Orberg puts it this way, To be a child was to be dependent, defenseless, fragile, vulnerable, at risk. Those were not qualities associated with heroism in the ancient world. A hero was someone who made things happen. A child was someone th- or something or someone things happened to. And so you have these disciples that are trying to be big, trying to be strong, trying to be great, trying to improve their position, trying to, you know, lead in this new setting that God is setting out for them. Jesus is laying for them. And yet When they try to ask how to improve their position, you can only imagine their shock when Jesus brings a child over. I picture that he put him on his lap or stood him out in front of him. and tells them that they have to change and become like this child. To hear that as a first century Jewish man would be very degrading. But I'm sure some husbands like myself have heard from maybe their Others that they're acting like a child before. But Jesus doesn't say to be acting, but to become like a child. To be focused, to be changed, to be looking at what that is. And, and so a lot of times when we get caught up in who we are, where we are, how close we are to God, how holy we are, and we start focusing on ourselves, we stop thinking about everyone else. And the one thing, one thing I really love about children is most of the time they are always worried and they are always focused on how others are doing. We don't do that. See, we want to be standing out in our kingdom of God where children want to be bringing people in and gathering. R.C. Foster says this, Jesus is not urging us to become like some children we have seen, We've seen some children, right? Not all children are, are angels. I know my kids are not always 100% amazing at all times, right? He, says, he is talking about the ideal child, 
The admirable qualities in a little child are humility, trust, simplicity, sincerity, courage, teachableness, unselfishness, loyalty, innocence, loving devotion, and the obedient spirit. Observe how these characteristics stand out in the Beatitudes on the Sermon on the Mount. So these, understand that, that these men have been walking and talking and eating with Jesus for years They were there at the Sermon on the Mount. They've heard his teaching. They've understood what he's talking about, where the blessings are going, and how Jesus is constantly trying to to bring up the poor and the oppressed, those who are overlooked, and yet they still don't get it. They still think that they have to figure out their way to be number one. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. If you want to be great, you got to humble yourself. you got to follow after me. As Caleb read in his first communion meditation, you know, that, that Jesus humbled himself, stepped down from heaven. And that's how we are to live our lives in this hum- humble way. These are the qualities that the greatest in the kingdom should have. Now, when I, I look at this thing and I start looking at, at, at my life and when I look at children and that, this idea that R.C. Foster's had, this ideal child there, there are some four areas that I think that all of us really need to, to really try to wrestle with or tackle or, or just continue to improve on in our lives. And brings me to my second point is this. Jesus wants you to be teachable, obedient, trusting, and full of joy. Once again, these are things that we really impress on children. But do we really impress these on ourselves very often? Do we really go through and tell us, Jimmy, you know what? You need to be more teachable today. You need to be more obedient. You need to be more trusting. You need to have more joy. And for some of you in this room, one or two of these things come very easy to you. That's how God created you. But some of the other things are very difficult. And so I wanted to go through and give us some applicable ways on how we can help ourselves in these areas to make ourselves become more like children, children of God that he wanted us to be. And we learn about, about some things in, in, in this and When it comes to becoming more teachable, I found a scripture, and it's going to come across kind of blunt, which is good for me, maybe not for you, but Proverbs 12.1 says this, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. Now, I looked through my other translations, and that stupid term, word, is there almost every time. And a lot of times when we think about the Bible, we only think about the pretty and the nice and the good things. But yes, that whoever hates correction is stupid. Now, does anybody here like to be called stupid? No. But if you're like me, you get called sometimes quite often. And so we need to learn how to to not hate correction, but enjoy it, to learn from it, to become better, to become growing. So how to become more teachable? Well, the first thing is this, learn to listen more than you speak. For some of us, we speak a lot. And so we have to learn to listen more. The old adage is you have two ears and one mouth, right? So what should you do? Listen twice as much as you speak. 
In James, in the book of James, he says that we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And yet many times in our lives, especially when tensions get high, what's the first thing that goes out, of, out the window? Listening. When we feel like we're being threatened or being corrected, we go into the self-defense mode and our listening skills go away. You know, sometimes to become a better listener, you just got to learn to engage with the person that's talking. Become an active listener. Maintain eye contact. When they get done saying their thing, repeat back to them what they have said so that way you understand where they're coming from. And don't take everything so personal. I know it's hard because we love ourselves a lot. And when correction comes, we hear that not just what we did was wrong, but who we are is wrong, and that hurts. But the truth is, if we are really children of Jesus, we can correct our behaviors, but know that we are his child, and know that we can be teachable. Second thing is this, understand that you don't know everything. You don't know everything. And I'm telling you, once you can accept this in your life, you will be much more freely. You will be able to, like, take criticism, and you'll be able to, like, just let it blow off and, and really just kind of laugh at yourself. My, uh, my, uh, my wife's grandfather, he gave me a card one time, and it really suited him, but he passed it on to me. It said this. It says, I know everything. I just can't remember it all at once. Because him and I, we felt like we knew a lot of stuff. But the more you can accept that you don't know everything, you don't understand everything, and that you can learn from people that are older and younger than you and more different and had different experiences, the more whole of a person you're going to become. And the more that Jesus can use you because of those experiences. Use you to do great things, to relate to people, to love people in a different way. To have compassion. Also do this, and we don't like to do it often. Ask for feedback and mean it. What can I do better? And once they tell you, don't go into defense mode. Write it down. Ask, them what, ask people what you can, how you can actually change who you are, or wording you can say. Or Don't be so prideful not to ask for help. And then this last one was one that I came across in my study this week. It's not my phrase, but somebody else. is ingest and implement. I, I think it's important for us to get feedback, but if we just hear it and don't do anything about it, what, what change is happening? None. Nothing whatsoever. So ingest what people are telling you, and then implement the changes. Now understand this, if, if somebody is telling you and correcting you on something and you wholeheartedly don't think they're correct, go to another wise counsel. Ask somebody else, hey, this person said this about me, do you see the same thing? And the only way you can get in that position is leading through humility. Now how do we become more obedient? The scripture here we got is John 14, 5, 15 through 17a. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The first line, if you love me, keep my commands. 
Wasn't that obedience right there? So to become more obedient, you need to first do this. You need to learn to put the needs of others before your own. That way, if somebody asks you to do something, you're willing to take care of their needs instead of your own. Understanding that yours are still important, but to be obedient is to show love. When my parents asked me to do things, chores when I was a kid, sometimes I would do it really easy. Other times I would fight and scream and make excuses and act like I didn't hear them, right? Or in a minute, in a minute. Isn't that, that's like the worst as a parent. Hearing that phrase sometimes can just like send your blood boiling, right? In a minute, hold on. But in, if we're to be more obedient, we need to learn to put others before, others before ourselves. And don't always ask others to do the things that you could easily do. And actually go out of your way to find things to serve other people. You'll have a generous spirit. Here's the second thing. is Discuss your disagreements with others in private, thus showing them respect. An obedient person doesn't just blab out and make a big scene all the time. Obedient to Jesus says, if you have a problem, when Jesus tells us, when you have a problem with someone, you go to them one-on-one. And you will find that if you can implement this into your life, this is going to help you tremendously in all aspects of your life. People will give you respect. And when, when you go and disagree with them in private, instead of calling them out in the middle of a meeting, or waiting on something to stab them in the back. I think we've all been there before. Have them, give them that respect. Do what Jesus is asking us to do. My third thing on this one is, look at unwanted tasks as opportunities to serve slash worship God rather than man. We all have things and duties that we don't like to do. And we sometimes all get things dropped on us at the last minute from somebody else. And we can get mad, we can ignore it, we can push it off to the side, or we can look at it as this opportunity to glorify God in our actions. And instead of just thinking about obeying the person here on earth who gave you that task, picture yourself accepting that task from Jesus. I don't know about you, but if Jesus asked me to do something, I'm wanting to do it, right? Even if it's typing, uh, retyping a 40-page document, right? Not going to be fun, but I'm sure Jesus will teach you something in that. Leads us to trusting. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. How we can trust better, how we become more trusting, versus this. Give others grace. Start by giving others the benefit of the doubt. We don't give grace to each other enough. And I know, especially in family units, because we're around each other all the time, it's really easy. We know how to push each other's buttons. But we have to learn to live in grace with each other. It's hard when you know somebody's telling you something that's not true, right? And that you don't want to give them the benefit of the doubt. So instead, you dig in and you try to prove them wrong. Instead of just letting them go and saying, 
oh, okay, that's interesting. I've never heard that before. Because that person in their heart, what they're telling you might be true to them. And you might need to correct them at a later time, but it's not always that moment that can create friction and problems. I think it's quite interesting with the uh, invention of the smartphone, anytime there's an argument with anyone about some sort of fact, what happens? People jump on their phone and look it up, right? Like, oh, you said that happened? No, actually, you said it was 1991. It was 1989 when that song came out, right? We do that all the time, and you want to prove it to them. You don't have to be right all the time. You don't have to prove that to them. Give people grace. Give others the benefit of the doubt. Now, if it comes to things that are, you know, I would say people not speaking scripturally sound things, yes, help correct them in a loving manner. Talk to them one-on-one. But the things that really don't matter, let it go. Learn to enjoy my kids tell me things that I know aren't true all the time, but they've heard it from someone, and for me just to crush their spirit, does that do anything to them? You say, oh, that's interesting. Maybe it could also be this, and introduce that way to them. Stop letting your past disappointments control your life. That's the second thing. Oftentimes, we, we just, we've been disappointed in so many areas in our life that it just cements to us that we can't, we we. we we just can't let go of those things. And anytime we feel like we're in a situation, we cannot trust others. You have to understand that, look, we let God down a lot. He still loves and trusts us. He still gives us the responsibility of serving the church and building his kingdom. We have to become more trusting with God. We need to become more trusting with other people. And that might mean that you need to really look inside yourself and get over some of the disappointments that happen. Get past the hurts. Let go of the anger and the frustration that you are holding on to and give it up to God. Let him take it. And when it comes to trusting and learning how to trust more, the last thing is very important here is understand that God can redeem every circumstance. Every single one he can redeem. When you know that wholeheartedly, then you can look at things with a more peaceful mind. My kids look at me, and they think Dad can fix everything. And if I can't fix it, then my dad can fix it. You know? We should have that same way as how we see Jesus. The, the really ugly situations that you find yourselves pulled into, God can redeem those situations. How are you going to invest in your time in those situations? And then as we move on to joyful, John 15, 9 through 11 says this, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's command and remained in his love, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. How do we become more joyful? For some people, this is really, you are just, joy just pours out of you. For the rest of us, the world has beat us up pretty bad. And we have calluses on us, and we don't like to be joyful. It scares us to be joyful. So how do you do this? 
Number one, learn to celebrate instead of criticizing. I remember when uh, American Idol first came out and everyone was really happy and excited about it. Like, kids would get up there and sing. I'm like, they're not that good. They're way better than me. But I was jealous of them that they were on TV and I wasn't. And I even remember, like, several years, several years ago, there was a kid named Colton Dixon who's now, like, a Christian recording artist. He was on there. And a group of our uh, youth group girls loved this kid. And I just sat there and made fun of him because he had weird hair, you know. And I just criticized him. And I, like, I didn't realize it, but I turned them against him. And I'm like, what did I do there? Why? Because I was kind of like, you know, criticizing instead of celebrating the fact that God is bringing up a Christian on this national television show. In our lives, we have to start to celebrate people. Let go of all your reservations. Put people up. Lift them up. Second thing is, learn to see Jesus or see where Jesus is in your everyday circumstances. Understand, Jesus is with us. His Spirit is here. And we need to see where he's working in our lives. And when you see it, you, you know when you've had that tough times in your life and you've looked back and you can see where Jesus did great things, you're like, wow, he is amazing. we got to learn to look forward into our lives. How is Jesus in this situation right now? How is he walking with us? How is he being here with us? And probably here's the last thing that will help you out the most. Surround yourself with worship and others that have a joyful spirit. You become who you hang out with. I'm telling you, if you haven't figured that out right now, you will. It's an old saying, you know, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. It's the same thing. You become who you're around. And if you're around a lot of critical people, if you're around people that like to be, you know, very pessimistic, guess what's going to happen to you? It's just going to rub off on you. Surround yourself with people that are happy, that are joyful, that are love being and enjoying the word of God, that love being with Jesus and seeing the things that he, do, he does. I love seeing children worship. Seeing this here this morning, that was beautiful. Last night we had a Valentine's Day thing here and we did some worship time in there. Just seeing the kids jumping around and, and, and having their hands and singing as loud as they could, it just fills me up. Actually, this uh, next month, we have Superstart for our fourth and fifth graders. And it's at, uh, we're going to be going, it's a whole conference just for them. And I just am so excited to see what God is going to do, do with those children at this, this conference. And if you haven't signed up for that, we are doing that this week as well. Um, there's a, actually a flyer out on the uh, Welcome Center. It's got a little QR code. You can scan it and sign up for that. But we want to, sorry, that was a shameless plug. But still, we want to, I want to see us all have a joy of children when worshiping and living our life for Christ. And it brings me to my last point is this. The level of love you have for Jesus will determine how much he will change you. And in turn, how much you will change the people around you. If you go ahead to Matthew chapter 19, See, disciples here were a little thick-headed, and they didn't understand the first teaching of what Jesus telling us about how to be children. Jesus had to do it again in chapter 19, verse 13. Then the people brought little children to Jesus from him, or to him, to the places, to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, "Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these." When he placed his hands on them, he went on from there. So they, they, 
The disciples, once again, got caught up in who should be around Jesus, who shouldn't be around Jesus. And Jesus had to bring the children in again. Let them come in and say, look, this is who you're supposed to be. At the end, Jesus actually lays his hand on them, and and we think of that as a blessing. See, we are also to be blessings to other people as well. And you cannot fully be blessing and investing in other people if you are not being transformed by Jesus. If you're not building that relationship closer and closer every single day, it is going to be very difficult for you to change the people around you. But understand this, as close as you get to Jesus, you will change. Things in your life will be different in a good way. It might be a hard way, but it will be a good way. God will make you into his disciple. A disciple that is full of love and compassion. And wants to go and reach the lost. Doesn't just judge people, but has pity for people. And your heart breaks for situations instead of standing back and gloating. See, we must learn how to love others as much as we love Jesus. John 15, 12 through 4, says this, This is my command. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. So we should be having this sacrificial love with each other. When I think about children, I see how they can sacrifice the things they love to bring others in. And as an adult, I would love to say that I do that a lot, but I don't. I think we all get stuck there. We got, get so caught up with what's going on around us, how we act in our world. And if we can only understand this one lesson, that we need to become the real children of God by really emulating the ideal child, we will become great in this kingdom. So the question here is, Are you ready to start to becoming like a child of God? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this day. Lord, we ask ask that you teach us and pour into us everything that we need. Lord, I ask that you do your will in us. Let us take these lessons. Let us be able to see our children, see the great things that you have poured into them, and let us implement those into our own lives. Not so that way we can build up a, a better position or, or to become more known, but so that way we can serve you and we can serve others. Lord, let us become as humble as we possibly can so that way we can glorify you more and more. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.